The New Orleans Saints look to have gone all in this offseason. So what constitutes success and failure for this team in 2023? We got all that and a little bit of land yet for you on today's episode of Locked on Saints. You are Locked on Saints, your daily New Orleans Saints podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What is good, Houdat Nation and Houdat family? Welcome into another episode of Locked on Saints, your daily podcast covering your favorite team, the New Orleans Saints, part of Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Thanks so much, as always, for making Locked on Saints your first listen of the day. Every day, don't forget, you can subscribe and follow for free on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, you can keep the conversation going with me one-on-one over at joinsubtext.com slash Locked on Saints. As always, I'm your host, Ross Jackson, at Ross Jackson. Nola on Twitter, your New Orleans Saints expert credential member of the media. You can find me over at, or over as, the senior writer and reporter for Saints News Network, Sports Illustrated's fan nation site covering the New Orleans Saints. You can find me every Tuesday over on the Locked on NFL podcast and here with you every single Monday through Friday and then some on Locked on Saints. Today's episode of Locked on Saints brought to you by FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Go ahead and check them out today over at FanDuel.com slash Locked On to get started. I'll tell you a little bit more about them later, but on today's episode, we're taking a look at a couple different things around the New Orleans Saints based upon what they've done this offseason. We're going to get to Isaiah Foskey because now we have an idea of what his contract might look like thanks to a contract being signed by someone else in his relative draft area. So we'll explain what that means. We're also going to take a look at how the New Orleans Saints spent amongst the most and amongst the biggest this off season. But before we get to any of that, why did they do that? Why go out and draft you know, a, a, a prototypical edge rusher who might be able to contribute right away? Why go out and spend a ton of money this off season? Well, it's because the New Orleans Saints want success in 2023. The New Orleans Saints did things after a 7-10 and 10 season that you're used to seeing what used to be 3-13, and 13, now 3-14 and 14 teams do over the course of their offseason. They revamped their coaching staff. Now, they didn't change the head coach, didn't change the offensive coordinator, but there was a lot of other changes around their position coaches. They made adjustments over at the athletic uh, and, and scouting and analytics departments. They've made you know further adjustments on their roster. They replaced their entire quarterback. They've revamped a bunch of different position rooms, including but not limited to their defensive line, tight end, running back rooms. So the New Orleans Saints have done things after a 7-10 and 10 season that some teams won't even start to do until they're into the 3-14, and 2-15 and 15 type range now in a 17-game season. And I think the New Orleans Saints deserve to be at least a little bit commended for that, because clearly they've shown you that to them, mediocrity is failure. And last year was a lot of mediocrity. And let's be fair, and let's be real, it was a lot of failure last year too. The Saints had a lot of problems on the offensive side. They couldn't move the ball. Even when they did, they couldn't get it into the end zone. They had trouble in the red zone. They had trouble between the 20s sometimes. And then as the season went on, the offense just got less and less productive, although it got more and more explosive. So you saw more big plays, Rashid Shahid, Alvin Kamara and his three touchdown uh, game, uh, the Seattle Seahawks game and how big that was for Taysom Hill. We saw all of those sort of more explosive plays start to pop up. But in terms of being a meticulous, methodical, move the ball down the field and punch the opponent in the throat type of offense that we're used to seeing 
in the New Orleans offensive days past, that identity was gone. That identity was never really claimed for New Orleans outside of that fourth quarter against the Atlanta Falcons. And even that game had a lot of explosive plays that led them there. Now, it's not that explosive plays, which by the way, are defined as passing plays of 20 yards or more or rushing plays of 15 yards or more. It's not that explosive plays are bad, but when your offense has to rely on them, I'll take you back to something I mentioned last week. The Cleveland Browns relied on explosive plays on their scoring drives 80% of the time. That means 80% of their scoring drives had an explosive play in there, which makes you feel good when you get the explosive plays. But how effective are you when you don't get those explosive plays? 20%? that can't be good. (laughs) And so if you're a team like the New Orleans Saints, you really want to balance that out a little bit. And I think that that was a team, this was a team that found more explosive plays last year than maybe we're a little bit used to toward the end of the season, right? They were still in terms of season long near the bottom. They were tied at last actually, along with the uh, Los Angeles Rams in that category. But you could see that they were starting to pull together some of the bigger plays that we haven't seen in the most recent New Orleans Saints off seasons, or excuse me, most recent New Orleans Saints offenses. Now you're trying to see them get back to being a little bit more methodical, but then be able to mix in those explosive plays. The threat of the explosive play allows you to be methodical. The defensive side of the ball was great in terms of passing defense. They were 24th in the NFL against the run. I'll continue to say, no matter how many people tell me I'm wrong, I'll continue to say that if the New Orleans Saints get back to middle of the pack in terms of being a run defense, then all of a sudden they are a top defense in the NFL because your run defense doesn't really designate where you rank among scoring defenses and total yardage defenses in the NFL. All of that comes down to passing yardage, passing uh, passing defense. And so as long as the passing defense remains, I'll say great, not even elite, but if it remains great, they were number two in terms of passing yards allowed last year. So it was an elite performance in the passing game, but they could be top 10 and still be in a situation to where they're a playoff team because of that. So The way that I look at New Orleans is that if you want to find out what success is to them in 2023, the success has to come with what you can do in your division, right? That's been the goal the entire offseason. The Saints spent a ton of money over the course of this offseason, more than they usually do, despite coming in at the lowest margin, again, being, what was it, 70-something million dollars over the salary cap? They're set to be another $77 million over the salary cap next year, but whatever, light work, small potatoes, it'll be fine. But then they ended up being one of the teams, and we'll discuss this in a little bit, that spent the most money. I'll tell you why that's unique here in a sec. But if you spend all of that money and say that the goal is because you feel like you can compete within your division and that there's no reason for you to kind of roll over and give up, then you have to win your division. And anything less than that would be considered mediocre, adequate, and therefore by the same standards, which they showed you last year or showed you over the course of this offseason, they would consider that a failure. And I think you have to, you would have to consider that a failure. And that's not me saying that the Saints are failures. It's not me saying that the Saints would be failures or anything like that. But in the mentality of it, if you're not first, you're last. If you're not winning this division, then something's gone wrong. Or something's gone mighty right somewhere else, right? Like if you have a, let's say a 13 and four season, but some other team inexplicably has a a, a 14 and three season, then what are you going to do, right? Like you were, you're, you're still in the playoffs at that point. So whether it be winning the division or at least being a playoff team with 10 or more wins, that's got to be what it needs to be for success for the New Orleans Saints. Anything less than that should be considered a failure. It doesn't mean that they have to reboot everything. It doesn't mean that they have to completely scrap everything that they did. You can run back the majority of this team next year and be ready to compete. But the issue is who's the team that wins 
more games than you in the division. If it's in, if it's the Carolina Panthers, things get tricky for you next year if the Atlanta Falcons land Caleb Williams and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers land Drake May or something like that. And then all of a sudden you have this sort of threat of three uh, young quarterbacks within your division that could potentially cause you some grief. So I, I think that the Saints kind of have to kind of have to be taken. It all has to be taken into account relative to what the rest of the division does. But if they're a team that wins their division, if they're a team that gets to a playoff team, then that is a or gets to a playoff run, that is a success and successful for the New Orleans Saints. But this year is key for them, right? I mean, we've seen the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they bring in Tom Brady, they win a Super Bowl. The Los Angeles Rams, they bring in Matt Safford, they win a Super Bowl. The New Orleans Saints bring in Derek Carr, do they win a Super Bowl? I don't think you can bet on that. But this has to be a big year for them because things can start to change in terms of the tide. Uh, in the in the NFC South and in the division as quickly as 2024. So you don't want to get left behind here. You want to continue to work ahead of the curve. So how do you continue to work ahead of the curve? That will determine success beyond 2023. But in 2023, success is simple, as we've discussed. The Saints are a team that have done things that losing teams usually do. They've done it as a mediocre team to try to get themselves back up to elite. And if they want to be considered successful in 2023, a division win as well as playoff run that's what it's going to take. All right, family, coming up next, how the New Orleans Saints put themselves in position to win the division, to have that playoff run. They did it by spending a bunch of money. We're going to get to all of that as we continue on with today's episode of Locked on Saints, part of Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode of Locked on Saints brought to you by FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. And of course, they're a massive sportsbook partner as well over on the NBA. And if you're into that, the NBA Finals could be coming to an end, like maybe right as you're watching this, potentially, or right as you're listening to this, potentially. You'll want to make sure you're getting in on that action and the only place to get that done safely, securely, and super easily in terms of a user-friendly layout. You know what you're doing. You know what your payout's going to be before you place your bets. You don't have to wait to hit a certain amount in your in your uh, account before you can withdraw. No, there's instant withdrawals, all that stuff. That is FanDuel. And right now, if you head over to FanDuel.com slash locked on as a first-time customer, you're going to get a $2,500 no-sweat first bet. That's $2,500 in bonus bets that comes back if your first bet doesn't win, meaning that there's no losing with your first bet over at FanDuel. Once again, that's FanDuel.com slash locked on to get that no sweat first bet of up to $2,500 today. FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's where you want to head. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. All right, family, continuing on with today's episode of Locked on Saints. Thanks as always. Make it Locked on Saints your first listen of the day every day. The New Orleans Saints spent a ton of money this offseason. Why? Is that important? And where do they rank uh, <laughs> amongst the rest of the NFL? And we're going to take a look at a couple of different categories in all of this. We're going to take a look at uh, guaranteed money that they spent, but also just first year money in terms of how much they spent here in 2023, all of that, and kind of get to why this is important. And here, I'll just answer it before we even ask the question. The reason why it's important is because this is the spending, This is, these are the moves over the course of the offseason that make what we just discussed in our first segment about the, you know, what quantifies success for the New Orleans Saints, what 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 is success for the New Orleans Saints of 2023. This is why this is important because the Saints didn't just sit back with their hands on the back of their head throughout this offseason or, or sitting on their hands throughout the offseason. 
they were out there putting work in. And so here's kind of the idea on how to look at all of this. So amongst the way that teams spend in free agency, there's a couple of different ways that you can look at it. We'll start with first year spending. So that's the amount of money that they spent bringing in free agencies and free agent additions over the course of the 2023 season. So this isn't about the lifespan of contracts around all 16 or 17 players that they brought in. This is more so around how much money each of them combined have on their first year here in 2023. And the Saints spent over $71.5 million when it comes to first-year cash, according to Over the Cap. That's ninth in the NFL. The reason why this is important is because the New Orleans Saints have typically not been a team that has, first of all, spent big in free agency, but secondly, spent big in their first year in free agency. You look at some of these numbers from the past couple of years, and they're in the bottom 10 in some of these metrics when it comes to the active spending for an individual year. They were eighth lowest last year. They were third lowest back in 2021. Now they're ninth highest. And by some sites, depending upon what you're looking at, that has different you know contract information and stuff like that, they might be eighth highest. And so when you look at where the Saints are right now, they are spending money. They are addressing the issues. This isn't a situation like the, let's call it the Cincinnati Bengals of the past where they're not spending money, right? This isn't a situation like the New Orleans Saints, let's be honest, in the recent past where they're not spending money. They didn't wait until the fourth, fifth day of free agency to land their first free agent. The Saints went out and landed their first free agent before free agency even began because he was released. And that was, of course, Derek Carr. Now, a big portion of the reason why the Saints spending money is the way that it is here in 2023 comes down to Derek Carr. But Derek Carr has a very light first year cap hit, all of these other things. So let's now look at the larger uh, piece of this, which is how much money they spent in total over the course of the lifespan of contracts that they gave out this year. They are fourth in the NFL. They are behind only the Ravens, Broncos, and Giants who have spent a bunch of money. And the Saints, by the way, uh, just under two hundred and thirty-seven and uh, two hundred thirty-seven point five million dollars spent in terms of total lifespan of contracts for every contract that they doled out this offseason combined. So they are spending money. Now let's look at the next piece, which are the guarantees. So you have sort of the overall amount of what a contract might be. That's usually what's broken into per year to get things like average per year or AAV, average annual value. But the guarantees are the things that really, really matter. How much money are you guaranteeing that players are going to be are, are going to see? Because you might give somebody a four-year, $100 million contract, but you might only guarantee 60% of that. So $40 million is just kind of hanging out there and might be accumulated, might be earned, might not, depending on restructures, roster bonuses, things like that. Well, the Saints did not cut any corners here. $148 million out of the $237 million that they gave out this offseason is guaranteed. Guaranteed. That's an outstanding amount of money in terms of the potential for um, you know, risk that's there. That's 61%. I was doing some quick math there. 61% of the contracts that they gave out this offseason are guaranteed, or 61% of the total amount of money paid out this offseason on contracts is guaranteed. So the Saints, that's third in the NFL behind the Ravens and the Giants. So you could see the more money you give, very likely the more guaranteed money you're giving in terms of just the overall value of it. So the Saints are spending the money that they need to spend to be a team that can go out there and compete, right? I mean, there's there's a big difference here between 
being a team that says, yeah, we think we can go out there and win the division. We want to go and do it, but then taking no steps, no strides towards getting that done, rolling with the same roster that gave you a seven and 10 record last year. Why would anyone believe that that would get you anything better than maybe eight and nine next year, depending upon your schedule and things like that? And the Saints do have a quote weak schedule. There's two ways to look at strength of schedule. You can look at it first in the way that most people generally look at it is how well did teams perform last year? What are the combined win-loss records and therefore win-loss percentages of the of the teams that you face this year from last year? But that doesn't really tell a good story. If every team that was bad last year is guaranteed to be bad this year, then no one would play football anymore. <laughs> because the moment that you had a bad year, you just are going to follow that up with another bad year, which means that'll be followed up with another bad year, which means that'll be followed up with another bad year. So why even do this? All of a sudden, we'd be running through like new cities in the NFL, which might not be a bad idea anyway. But when we look at where the Saints are in all of this, you can also look at it the other way, which is looking at future projections. So like ESPN's FPI, for instance, EPA per play estimated sort of you know values over what's expected. And so looking at sort of what the expected result is for each of these teams in 2023. So if you look at the Saints' base strength of schedule based on last year's performance, their last in the NFL, if you look at it based on what the expectations are, the projections are for their opponents this year, they're second to last in the NFL. And now here they are spending the ninth most money in 2023, the fourth most money total, and the third most money guaranteed in the NFL. So you can see the sort of where the Saints are trying to position themselves versus the opponents and the quality of opponents that they're expected to face in 2023 and the quality of the division that's around them in 2023. So this all gives context to how. Not only do we look at it as media and fans and everything as, hey, this is a team that needs to be in the playoffs in 2023, the Saints clearly look at it that way too. And if they can't get there, then that ends up causing a little bit of, there's going to be larger question marks around the New Orleans Saints. Let's just say it that way. That might be question marks towards Dennis Allen. That might be question marks towards Pete Carmichael. That might be question marks towards Mickey Loomis. It depends on how the, how the team performs. If the team is winning games, then nobody's going to be asking questions. But if the team is losing games that they should be winning, then maybe you're looking and you're looking at Dennis Allen. If the team is losing because the offense continues to struggle, then maybe you're specifically looking over at Pete Carmichael. If all of the additions and rookies for this year never get off the ground in 2023, then you maybe you're looking at guys like Jeff Ireland and Mickey Loomis. Like there is going to be a whole bunch of context here. That's why I'm not in a situation here where I'm ready to say this person's on the hot seat, that person's on the hot seat, blah, blah, blah. None of that matters. All that matters is how this team performs in 2023. And then we can start to have the discussions about what needs to change, if anything needs to change at all. Because it could be, believe it or not, that something positive simply happens and that this Saints team is what they have built themselves to be over the course of this offseason. And that is a playoff team in a bad division. If they can at least be that, then at least you know that you're on the right track heading into 2024 and beyond. So a bright tunnel at the end or, or a bright light at the end of the tunnel for the New Orleans Saints. The issue is how long is the tunnel? How long is the tunnel? And that's going to be the question that we can only answer weeks one through 18. Then we'll figure all of that part out. But the Saints at least equip themselves with the materials that they need to be able to last throughout that long tunnel and find their way to that light at the end. Coming up next, we're going to take a look at Isaiah Foskey's potential contract. We got a little bit of context here 
in terms of what might inform and influence what Isaiah Fossey's contract looks like and how it actually gets a little bit easier to negotiate if you're the New Orleans Saints now. We got all that coming up for you as we continue on and wrap up today's episode of Locked on Saints for the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Let's get it. Houdat Nation, wrapping up today's episode of Locked on Saints with one of the biggest questions that we continuously uh, see over the course of the offseason right now, and that is, has Isaiah Foskey signed his contract? Will Isaiah Foskey sign his contract? So there's a couple of different pieces to all this that give us a little bit of context in terms of what's happening, but also how this all might come to an end as well. Now, the first thing that I'll say is that Isaiah Foskey, who was drafted, of course, by the New Orleans Saints in the second round, the defensive end out of Notre Dame, pick number 4040 overall. He is a second round draft pick. Not a lot of second round draft picks have signed their contracts. So it's not just Isaiah Foskey hanging around as the last, you know, pick outside of the 250 plus players drafted this year that, you know, hasn't signed a contract. That is not the reality of it. And this is also not out of the ordinary for New Orleans either, because we saw this with Alante Taylor just last year. Second round contracts in particular, are getting a little bit more, there's a lot of push and pull in terms of things like guarantees and offset language and all that other stuff, because that that round is kind of evolving a little bit in terms of impact players, in terms of all these other things. Uh, and so you're seeing things like, you know, uh, uh, contract numbers go up every single year as the uh, as the CBA escalates numbers and things like that. And so now the next piece of it all is how much of the total money that's in the CBA, which there's not a lot to negotiate when it comes to what the structure of a rookie deal is, but it does escalate every year. But now what there is to kind of, you know, nitpick about, argue about, go back and forth about is how much of my money is guaranteed. And that's probably where a lot of these second round draft picks are. And it's very likely where Alante Taylor was last year when he didn't get his contract done until July 21st. It was like during training camp. And I wouldn't expect much else when it comes to Isaiah Foskey, than that as well. As of right now, I wouldn't expect anything to really happen until training camp. But we did get a little bit of a glimpse into what that contract might look like, and maybe that things might come to uh, a resolution sooner rather than later. The first thing that the other thing to remember is that there's no bad blood in this conversation. That's just not how it works. Isaiah Foskey was out at OTAs. He's been all over Saint social media. He's been uh, participating in everything. He's been speaking to media. He's been doing all this stuff. There's no bad blood in terms of this this thing. It, it, this is just part of the game at this point in today's NFL. So the thing that kind of helps us sort of figure out where all of this is going is that Matthew Bergeron, the offensive lineman that the Atlanta Falcons selected two picks before uh, the Saints selected Isaiah Foskey in this year's draft, uh, has signed his rookie deal. And as we mentioned, a big part of sort of the conversation around this contract, that contract, what my contract looks like as a second round draft pick, all that comes down to guarantees and offset language. The largest part of that sort of back and forth is how much of my third year is guaranteed. Because it used to be that the first two years were guaranteed, and then maybe you got a little bit of your third year guaranteed, and then your fourth year, no money was guaranteed at all. Now you're starting to see more and more second round contracts with guaranteed fourth years or some guarantees in their fourth year while their third year is fully guaranteed. But that kind of tapers off as you get further and further down the round, right? Further and further down the second round. So maybe the 33rd overall pick gets all three first year, all three of, yeah, all three of the first years of the contract fully guaranteed. 
And then let's just be wild and say half of the fourth year guaranteed, which wouldn't usually be the case, but let's just say that. So that means that maybe the 34th overall player, two year one pick later, gets a little bit less guaranteed. 35th, a little bit less guaranteed in the fourth year. 36th, a little bit less guaranteed in the fourth year until you get down to the point to where fourth year contract, the fourth year of the contract is no longer guaranteed. We might have just figured out or that there's no guarantees at all. We might have just figured out that that's exactly where Isaiah Foskey is going to land. And here's why. Matthew Bergeron, the offensive tackle who we just talked about from the Atlanta Falcons, who was drafted two picks before uh, Isaiah Foskey, signed his contract. First year, second year, third year, fully guaranteed, but the fourth year only has $10,000 guaranteed. That's it, $10,000 guaranteed in his fourth year. Right after him is Jonathan Mingo, the wide receiver, and then right after that is Isaiah Foskey for the New Orleans Saints. It is very likely now that Matthew Bergeron will be the last player in this year's, drafted in this year's second round to receive guaranteed money their fourth year because you can't go much lower than $10,000 worth of guarantees. Maybe you look at Jonathan Mingo and say, okay, we'll give you a $5 million guaranteed, but why, right? So it's very likely that that's the cutoff in terms of fourth-year guarantees. So that means that Isaiah Foskey very likely understands now, and the people around him and his team and the conversation with the New Orleans Saints, all that, they very likely now know, okay, no guarantees the fourth year. But now the question is, are all three first years still fully guaranteed, or do you take a little bit off of the third year? I think very likely what we're going to see when it comes to an Isaiah Foskey contract is that, and the numbers don't matter, right? In terms of how many millions, 1.5 million, whatever. None of that really matters. I'm not going into those numbers today because that's not really the point of the conversation. And that stuff isn't going to be adjusted at all. What you're going to see instead is how much of this is guaranteed. And so I think what we'll see with Isaiah Foskey is that he'll get years one, two, and three fully guaranteed, but no guarantees his fourth year. I think you'll probably see the same thing with Jonathan Mingo, the 39th overall selection, the wide receiver. So one of the things that also gives us a little bit of a glimpse into this is that if we look back at um, previous years, so like last year, for instance, the 38th overall selection was also an Atlanta Falcon. It was uh, Arnold DeVacchetti who signed a contract that had uh, his contract was fully guaranteed for the first three years with no guarantees the fourth year. You look two picks later, two selections later, which gets us to uh, Boye Mafe, the edge rusher out of uh, who went to the Seattle Seahawks. He got his first two years fully guaranteed and then all but $500,000, excuse me, all but $300,000 guaranteed in his fourth year. So you could see that it started to taper off a little bit in terms of those guarantees. I think Isaiah Foskey is nestled just enough behind that $10,000 of fourth year guarantees that he'll still end up with all three of his first years guaranteed. Same thing for Jonathan Mingo. So it just gives us a little bit of an idea of where the structure is and probably makes the negotiating stuff a little bit easier if the haggles, if the holdup right now is around guaranteed money. Some of it might still be about offset language and stuff like that. We'll define offset language on Wednesday for our Wednesday fund or for our midweek fundamentals. But we're gonna. But the biggest thing that you're probably looking at right now is guarantees, and at least we have a little bit more clarity in terms of what that might look like for Isaiah Foskey and the New Orleans Saints. All right, y'all. Coming up in tomorrow's episode, we're gonna be looking at minicamp, looking ahead to minicamp. What are the things that we're looking for? What are the things that we're wanting to see? We'll go offense, defense, and then we're gonna take a look at um, uh, just sort of like the general bigger stories as well. So we'll start off with Derek Carr, the offense, all that good stuff, and then roll through. 
Uh, coming up on Wednesday, midweek fundamentals, we'll discuss offset language. And then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we'll have guests here that will also help us kind of go through mini camps and everything and uh, talk about what was observed, what was there. We'll have my teammate from over at um, Saints News Network, John Hendricks, on at the end of the week. He'll do Friday with me so that we can kind of go over all of OTAs. We're also going to see a couple of other folks, some friends of ours from WWL, who'll be making their returns to the show as well. So I appreciate you, as always, for making Locked On Saints your first listen of the day every day. Go and check out Caroline Fenton and Locked On LSU, the LSU Tigers baseball team headed to the College World Series. You can also go and check out um, Jake Madison over at Locked On Pelicans to figure out what the heck is going on with Zion Williamson and the Pelicans. I'm not talking about it here. Jake's got you covered for it over there. Go and check them out. Appreciate you as always making me part of your day, part of your routine for saying yes to me and the show. As always, if you see me, say hi. And if you want to keep the conversation going one-on-one with me after these shows, make sure you head over to joinsubtext.com slash locked on saints. As always, if you need anything else in between these episodes all around your New Orleans Saints, make sure you follow me on Twitter at Ross Jackson, N-O-L-A. Hit me up. Let me know how the family's doing. Let me know how you're living. Let me know how you're momming them. And trust you, that nation, I'll holla at you.